I want to share a little bit about what, what Christianity is all about. And uh, I want to do it by talking about one of Jesus' most famous stories. Um, but because it's his most famous story, the danger with it is it's also, certainly for those of us who've been at church a few times, it's one of his most familiar stories. And so for that reason, sometimes it's a little bit hard to pay attention. And I'm aware that online these days, what they, want to, what they do if they want to get our attention is they use something called clickbait. And we've, we've all of us fallen victim to it, I think, at different points. I've got some examples of clickbait that I googled earlier. Here's one. Man tries to hug a wild lion. You won't believe what happens next. Um, some clickbait, what it does is it tries to sort of do like a look where they are now type thing. So here's another example. Remember the baby who played the role of baby in the movies Babies Grow Up? This is how he looks now. Absolutely hot, exclamation mark. Now, I've never even heard of the movie Babies Grow Up, but I'm like, I want to know what that kid looks like now. I want to understand how hot he is, so I'm going to click on that button. Um, some, some, some clickbait sort of taps into our ego. So here's, here's one. Can you solve this ancient riddle? 90% of people gave the wrong answer. Um, this is an opportunity to prove that you are in the elite 10% of the world's population. Uh, some clickbait, what it does is it tries to hook into our fears. Is your boyfriend cheating on you? He is, if he does these five things. Now... I've given enough talks to know that those of you here with boyfriends will pay no attention to anything else I say until we've ruled out whether your boyfriend is cheating you or not. So I did go down this rabbit hole and I clicked. Here are the five things that will tell you if he's cheating on you. All right, number one, he does not have time for you. Number two, he gets irritated by little things. Number three, he avoids your calls. Number four, he goes on business trips more often. Uh, let's move on to number five. Number, number five, he changes his phone number, right? Now, I'm, I'm no expert when it comes to relationships, but I want to suggest if he's changed his phone number, uh, it may be that he broke up with you a long time ago. But um, there's, there's clickbait, right? And, and when it comes to the familiar story of Jesus, if it were to be put in clickbait form to get you to read the rest of the story, one suggested clickbait might be, Billions of people's lives have been changed by the message of this one story. Brackets, yours could be next. Uh, another one, why 93% of us are not content. Find out the secret the other 7% discovered. Um, another one, runaway child comes home. What happens next will shock you. Those of you who've been part of the church for a while, you probably know where I'm going to go. I'm going to go to a story Jesus tells about a father and two sons. But I really just want to focus on the aspect of the story where he talks about one of the sons who's called the prodigal son. And you can find it if you click on Luke chapter 15. I'm going to read from verse 11. Uh, the story goes like this. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the youngest son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed his pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, 
He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. And what Jesus is doing in this story is he's trying to help us to get who God is and what we can be like. And what, one of the things he's saying is that all of us can have a tendency to be like the younger son. This son that decides he wants to live apart from his father. It's a picture for those of us who decide we want to live apart from God. And the, uh, the son, what he does is he runs away, not just down the road after he's got the money. He goes to a far distant country. He tries to get as far away as he possibly can. And for some of us, the way that we do life is that we try and do it apart from God. And we'll try and get as far away as we can from any idea, sniff or smell of him. And this can be true not only of those of us who've not yet come to know God, but it can also be true for many of us who do know him. We can have a tendency, can't we, to wander away from him, to seek satisfaction and peace and comfort and life and all these things that are not him. And one of the things that's fascinating to me about the story is that the father doesn't insist that the son stays. He lets him go. And he lets us wander off from him as well to go and find and make our own way in the world. Um, eventually, what happens to the son is he hits rock bottom. And he has to get right to the bottom before he's even going to contemplate coming back. So it's not when he runs out of money. It's when he, he, he hires himself out at that point, trying to make his way by himself a little bit further. But then when he's feeding the pigs, he finally twigs, you know what, maybe, maybe I need to go home. And for some of us, that's the moment. Again, whether we're following him or we're not, but so often it's when a crisis happens, when we hit rock bottom, where there are no other options. We finally turn around and we come back to him. But for many of us, we're able to do a little better than the prodigal seems to have done with his accounting and his money. And we managed to cope pretty well building a life for ourselves. And so, so we don't ever turn around. And this hunger for God, this hunger for a father, one person described it as a little like, almost like something, this, this yearning in us that's deep inside, that's like a longing for eternity. He put it like, um, like the echo of a tune not yet heard. Or the fragrance of a flower not yet smelled. And I remember when I was kind of weighing up whether to go all in for Jesus. Um, so a friend of mine was talking to me. And he said, you could choose not to. And he said, if you decide not to, you might well have an all right life. You know, you, you, you'll probably be able to get an okay job. You might be able to buy a house. You might, you know, maybe one day get married. Maybe you'll have some kids. And maybe you'll be fine with that a lot of the time. But he said, there will probably come evenings where your wife is out, uh, your kids are in bed, you know, you're not getting any emails for a minute, you switch off Netflix for a moment, and you just sit there in your semi-detached house, 
And it's possible that in moments of quiet like that, you would sit there and think to yourself, is this really it? Is this all it was ever meant to be about, life? Or could it be that there's more? And some of the stories that have hit me between the eyes from the news over the last couple of years, um, they've they've come up every two or three months, uh, are stories from China that talk about children who were abducted when they were little and then taken to a faraway place. Um, They were, you know, three or four years old and sold to another family who couldn't have a child and then raised as the child of, of these parents. And there have been stories of reunion because the parents have been looking and the children ultimately end up looking when they grow up for their biological parents. And I remember reading the story of this one guy who was in his 30s. He graduated, he was a professional, he had a good job, and he, his parents who raised him in the end loved him, and he was, you know, on one level he was very happy, but on another level, deep down inside, there was still this yearning, still this longing to know his, to know his mum and dad, the ones that had given birth to him. And a question that I've been pondering recently, and I want to suggest that it is, is, is it possible to know about who you are in so many ways, to have life sorted on so many levels, and yet still know deep down inside you're missing the one thing that really matters. What Jesus is saying is that we are like a younger son who's wandered from the Father. And then what can stop us from coming to know God, what can cause us to hesitate even in beginning a journey towards him, is that we're not sure what he's like, and we're not sure of the sort of reception that we're going to receive when we come back. And again, in the story, he's trying to help us to get what that's like. Um, We have, I don't know if you noticed on the door, uh, there's a sign that we've put up recently. And it's because six months ago, the DVLA office in Watford moved to Grey Cane Road. And for some reason we haven't fathomed, they, on, on Google Maps, if you type in the address for the DVLA office, it comes up here. Um, Soul Survivor Watford. So for six months, and we've contacted Google and we've contacted the DVLA, and neither of them have done anything about it at all. But for the last six months, honestly, about 20 people a day come looking very confused through those doors, expecting to have a driving theory test when they arrive. And we have the most kind, gracious people you can imagine working in the office here. But when this has been going on for 20 people a day for six months, tempers are getting a little bit frayed. And they have, they've put signs up and then they've improved the signs. And this is the current sign. Can we have a photo that is currently on the door? This is not the theory test center. Please follow the below map. Even with that on the door, they still come in looking for it. Um, the team have actually decided that we're going to design our own theory test. We're going to have a little room. We're going to usher them in. They're going to sit it. We're going to tell them they've passed. And then we're going to send them off. um, Because that will be less irritating than currently what we're having to do. And I've been laughing to myself and mocking these people. I've seen them staring at the sign, looking confused. I've said things to myself like, you can't even find the theory test center. How are you going to pass your theory test, right? Um, But I've been thinking about it recently. And actually, it's occurred to me, how many times do I walk into this place thinking it's some kind of test center? How many of you walked in here this morning thinking this was going to be some kind of a test? Where we we think, okay, they're not going to be testing my driving theory, thank goodness. But they might test my morality. Maybe they'll test how good I am. And for those of us who've been following Jesus for years and we, we know better, we still have this almost default that we switch back to, this idea that this is some kind of a big test. And that's because religion is a test. 
And if you look at most, all actually, apart from Christianity, major world religions, there is a standard that you need to meet to come into the presence of God or to achieve enlightenment or whatever the ambition is. There is a standard with every other one, but not with Christianity. The message of Jesus is different. It is this radical message of unconditional love. It's a message of grace. It's not about a test. It's about an embrace. That's what happens when the father sees the son and runs towards him. That's what we can expect when we come towards God. And a modern equivalent of this story would be if, if you can imagine, you know, a dad raises a child, pours his heart, soul, and strength into raising this kid to be the best they can be. And then when they hit about 18, 19, they turn to him and they say, this is the cult cultural equivalent of what this, this lad in the story is saying. I wish you were dead, dad. Because if you were, I could sell your house and then I could do what I want with the money. And imagine he says that to his dad and his dad says, okay, do you know what? We'll do it. The dad downsizes, gives him the money that would have been his when he died. And then imagine this guy heads off to, to spend it. He goes off to Vegas, flies over to the States and then just wastes the lot of it in wild living. And then after a little bit, when he's living in a dive in Vegas and all the people he thought were his friends have left him alone and no one will help him out. Imagine in that moment, if it just occurs to him, maybe I should try going back, but I couldn't. And he's so embarrassed, he's so overcome with shame and guilt that what he does is he can't even face a FaceTime with his dad. So he just sends him a message on Facebook and he says, hey, listen, I, I, I'm going to be coming back. I know we can never have a relationship like we used to. Um, and you probably don't want to see me. So, so here's what we'll do. Um, just on this one particular day, I'm going to drive past the house and I, I can't even bring myself to knock on the door. But if you like leave me a little signal or something, like maybe just tie a balloon to the gate or something like that, I'll know that you're open to at least having some kind of a conversation. If I don't see anything, don't worry. I understand you'll never hear from me again. He sends that message and then he gets on a plane and he flies home. Think about what's going through his head all the way home. What's, gonna, what's the reaction going to be when I get there? He gets in a taxi from the airport. The taxi takes him to the street. As he gets closer to the street, you know, the anxiety and the fear would be big, right? What's it going to be like? And then, it, and then the taxi pulls around the corner and he sees his house for the first time. And imagine if he sees it. And it's not just that there's one balloon tied on the gate, but the whole fence is covered in balloons. The trees are hung with balloons. The house is covered in balloons. His dad is standing at the end of the driveway. He's got massive fistfuls of balloons in both hands. And he sees the taxi because he's watching for it. And the moment he sees the taxi, he just drops the balloons. He doesn't care. He runs towards the taxi. He won't wait for the five minutes for it to get to him. He runs towards the taxi, wrenches open the back door, punches the seatbelt, drags his son out. Now, his son starts the speech he's been practicing all the way home. Hey, Dad, I'm so sorry. You know, I know we can't, I can't be your son. The dad won't even listen to the speech. He's yelling back into the house. He's here. He's here. Get the music on. Get the party started. Get the stakes out. My son's back. He's dragging him in. The son's got tears. The dad's got tears. That, Jesus is saying, that picture is what it's like to come to know God as, as God, as who he is. He's a father who embraces us when we get home. And we think it's some kind of a test. That's the approach we bring. This isn't what God is like. This is what he's like. And as I hear this and I ponder it, one of the things that occurs to me is, but, but isn't it the case that the things we do, is, are we saying that they don't matter? They do matter. I always used to think the word prodigal meant rebellious. 
but it doesn't. What it means is to have spent everything. The son who spent everything. And what we meet in this story is the prodigal God, the prodigal father. The father who spends everything that he might embrace us. Because the story Jesus is telling is a way of explaining to us what God does. God becomes a person in Jesus Christ. He comes, as it were, to the far country looking for us. And he costs everything. The cross, the very life of Jesus, he gives up. The resurrection. He he almost, as it were, if it were a test, he takes it on behalf of us and aces it. That, when we come to know God, he can embrace us fully. And I've been kind of pondering this as I've prepared for this morning, and it's just hit me afresh. This message, the message of Jesus, is far, far more than a message of forgiveness. It goes way beyond that. This isn't just about coming to know a God who is a judge and and we're made right with him. It's about coming to know a God who is a father of compassion and love, and we're brought into his family. That's what the message is. And it reminded me of, um, I saw this thing on the news about a month ago. This guy uh, was sent a check by his power company, Northern Power Grid. Make a note of that because you're going to want to sign up with them. Uh, He hadn't had power for like three days. There'd been a storm. And so the lines had come down. And so the, 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 the company sent him a check to sort of reimburse him the amount of, you know, electricity that he hadn't been able to use, that he'd already paid for. And he was expecting the check to be for 200 pounds, and then he opened it, and it was for... Uh, 2.3 trillion. And uh, he tweeted them saying, I'm about to cash this. I just want to be 100% sure you can afford it, right? And they they tweeted back pretty quickly. There has been a clerical error. Um, 2.3 trillion pounds. I don't know what you're expecting when you come to know God. I don't know what the, the son is clearly expecting when he comes back to the father. His expectations are, you know what, maybe I can be a servant. Maybe he'll accept me if I just work really hard. And then suddenly the father's like, quick, get the robe. Quick, get the sandals. Quick, get the ring. Quick, get the party going. His his expectations were blown away. And we can think maybe if we're good, it will be sort of like we can have some kind of an arrangement. The father doesn't insist he stays when when he decides to leave. But when he comes back, do you know what he does insist on? You are coming back as a son. And that's the only way. I'm not going to settle for you at arm's length. You come back as a son. I read um, just a couple of days ago the story of this lady called Stephanie Fast. And she was born in the 1950s in South Korea. Her dad was an American soldier. Her mum was from South Korea. And uh, he left. The dad left, you know, when the war ended. And um, in those days in South Korea, to be biracial... Um, was there was a huge stigma attached to that. And to be born outside of marriage, again, in those days, there was a huge stigma attached to that. There was a lot of shame associated with it. And so her earliest memory was of her mum arguing with other members of the family about her and about her future. And uh, she overheard, basically, that her mum would have no future if the little girl was still in her life. And she said there was a day when her mum walked her down this dirt track and she heard the sound of a train for the first time. And she said to her mum, what's that sound? And the mum said, that's the sound of a train. Well, that's where I'm taking you. And the mum took her. This girl was, was just older than a toddler. She's about four years old. She took her to, to a train 
and she had a little um, scarf that she kind of wrapped up like a bag. And in the scarf, there was a lunch and there was a change of clothes. And she, she put the girl on the train. She put the little bag on the, on the rack and she knelt down in front of her and she said, stay on this train until everybody gets off and then your uncle will be there to look after you. So the little girl stays on the train. Uh, she gets off when everybody gets off and there's nobody there. There's nobody there to greet her. And she, she was cast adrift at four years old. Can you imagine, for the kids that we just had dedicated, can you imagine at four years old, left to make her way in the world in a country where she was, because of how she looked, already, you know, people were prejudiced against her. Um, she went up to the, the, the train guard, you know, and just tried to say something, and he just spat at her and called her racist word. And she, um, in the end, she said, she, she writes about her, those years where she basically had to live on the streets. She had no choice. And as a four-year-old, she somehow managed to survive. She stole food. She slept in kind of like little holes in the ground that animals had dug. She got straw in the winter. Occasionally, she would manage to sort of, a, a person might leave their door open and she'd sleep in their kitchen or something if they'd let her. But that was, for, that was for three years. And eventually, she wandered from village to village until she found herself in the, the second largest town city in South Korea. And a nurse from a charity found her passed out on a rubbish heap at the age of about seven. And she took her to an orphanage. And she was in the orphanage for a couple of years. And then what happened when she was nine years old is a, a, a missionary couple came to visit the orphanage. And they were going to adopt a baby. And then they saw her. And she describes the moment that the man came towards her. And she was just drawn to him. And she said, you know, the orphanage wasn't great. So she said, at that point, I, was, I had lice so bad that my head was white. I had, I had worms in my stomach. I was malnourished so I could hardly see. Um, I was covered in boils. My face had scars all over it. My, my look was just blank and expressionless. And she said the man came up to her and he knelt down before and he just put his hand on her cheek, just incredibly tenderly. And she said, when, when he put his hand there, I, I didn't want it to go. I'd never been touched like that. That's how I felt inside. But then she said, what I actually did, though, even though I never wanted him to take his hand away, is I spat in his face. I spat in his face twice, and I, and I shouted at him, and I ran off and slammed, slammed a cupboard door and hid. But this couple didn't give up on her, and they came back. And eventually, um, they adopted her. But here's the thing. She didn't know, because of her background and everything, she didn't know what it meant to be adopted. So all she understood was she was going to go and live with them. That's all she got. And so she, she, what she thought was, they're taking me to work in their house, because that's what rich people did. You know, they had the people that worked for them. So she thought, they're going to take me to work in their house. And so she turns up in the house, and she's thinking, this is amazing. There's like a refrigerator. It's a flushing toilet. This is, a, this is seriously, this is a lot better than I used to have. Um, and she couldn't understand the way they treated her, so they would buy her new clothes. They would constantly be feeding her. They gave her antibiotics, sorted her health out. They'd be tucking her in at night, and she was just really confused as to why they didn't give her any work to do, uh, but she was too afraid to mention it, so she didn't bring it up, and that went on for months, and then there came a day when she was in the village, and she was just talking to another girl in the village, and she was just saying to her, these Americans are really nice. You know, they've taken me in their house. They're giving me all this stuff. They're not giving me any work to do. I don't understand it. They haven't put me to work yet. And this, this girl she was talking to looked at her surprised and said, Stephanie, don't you understand? You're their daughter. 
you're their daughter. And she was just shocked. And she said, no, I'm not their daughter. And the girl looked at her and she said, yes, you are. You are their daughter. And she said she was floored, this girl Stephanie. And she ran out of the room and she ran back up the hill towards the house. And she said, as I was running, I just had this thought going through my mind. I'm their daughter. I'm their daughter. I'm their daughter. That's why they're treating me this way. And she said she burst into the house where her mum was and she just yelled at her in Korean, I'm your daughter. And when she did it, the mum just started sobbing and she said, yes, Stephanie, yes, you're my daughter. And the guy that's interviewing Stephanie, you know, when I was reading this, he said to her at that point, how did you feel at that moment? And up until that point, Stephanie had described in really graphic detail the horrors that she had experienced as a young girl growing up in that situation. She'd been incredibly eloquent, but this moment, this is the one where she's lost for words. She can't explain it. There is a grace that is beyond language. And what, what this son, Jesus, is talking about in the story, what he feels as he comes home is, you know what, maybe it's a servant. And the father's like, no, I, we're not having any of this. You are my son. And the message of Jesus is this. He came that his father might become our father. It's not a message about a test. It's not a message about with terms and conditions. It's a message of utter and complete grace. Jesus is telling a story about a father who loves a son. But here's the real point, mate. God is your father. And you are his daughter. You are his son. And when we come towards him, who we meet, is a God of compassion and love beyond all understanding or words.